Man, today we have Dr. Ross with us today, and I just wanted to tell you a little bit about him, not too much, because, you know, but uh, <laughs> oh, I crack myself up sometimes. The things that get through my head is just, it's, I don't think anybody can figure that out. I can't even. But Dr. Ross, uh, he is a professor uh, at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, he's a professor of student and family ministries there. He has a wife that's been doing ministry side by side with him for, uh, well, I don't know how long, but, you know, long you've been doing it probably. And he has a son that loves Jesus, and I think more than anything, he, he loves Jesus and loves families. And uh, so today he's going to come and share with us uh, whatever God's laid on his heart. And so this is Dr. Richard Ross, and yeah, whatever, there he is. <laughs> I love Brother Andrew. He was one of my students at the seminary, and even beyond class, our lives were very tangled up with each other. Uh, everything you love about him, that's me. <laughs> everything you're frustrated with, that was other professors. But <laughs> the stuff you like, that's me. Uh, <clears throat> Friday night, night before last, I was with 75 dads gathered by a pastor by the name of Brad Martin. And he told me that I must send greetings to this church because some of you know him. And I know some of you ladies that taught him in Sunday school are thinking, make a pastor, I'm just glad he's not in prison, you know. <laughs> so you need to know he made a great pastor and he's doing a good job uh, pouring into families and he sends you greetings today. Evidently his mother must be a praying person, that's all I can imagine. <laughs> This is, this is such a sweet, cooperative congregation. Y'all been so warm to me all morning long. I think if I ask y'all to, to stand and be part of, you know, kind of a demonstration, I actually think y'all would do it. I, I sensed that this was a, a group that would go along. What if I invited all of you to stand to your feet and all of you to come fill this entire area down at the front? Now, that would be crowded. But once again, I think if you saw a reason for doing that, I think most of y'all would try to cooperate. Since it would be crowded, why don't, why don't we use our imagination? I want every one of you, children, adults, every, I want all of you to imagine, if I walk to the front following the instructions of the speaker, where exactly would I stand? That's what you're all trying to figure out. Where would be my place to stand if I followed the instructions? What if... We were going to gather a group right here. And by standing right here, that group were to say, I am on my way toward God. I'm trying to figure this thing out. I got myself up this morning, got myself dressed, figured out a church is a good place to find answers. And I'm here to say, I am no atheist. I'm trying to find God. And I'm here this morning. Knowing you people like I do, I think if we actually had a group like that here, I think probably 10 or 15 of you would come hug their neck and say, so proud you're here, you are exactly in the right spot, glad you're on your way toward God. But I think a lot of you would say, well, no, that's not exactly where I would belong. I, I think maybe I would be more right here, big, big group here. I, I would be a group that would say, once upon a time I was on my way toward God. Finally, somebody explained, know him, I could have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, death on the cross, I received that gift into my life. So no, I'm not on my way toward God, I actually have a relationship with him, but I'm standing here and not some other places because even though I know Christ, 
right now, the most important person in my life would be me. By that I mean, you know, just typical day, normal day, what's really on my mind is me. You know, my problems, my hardships, my physical situation, my finances, my crazy kids, you know, just normal life. Really what I'm just trying to do is get through the, the, the day, and I would say I'm just pretty well wrapped up in me, my life, my issues. I know Jesus, but the most important person in my life is me. Now, the group that ought to stand here I'm not entirely sure they would come because the same people that ought to stand here are also so humble. I don't know that they would put themselves forward. Maybe a friend would bring them and say, you need to stand. Regardless, if a group came here, they would be saying, there was a time in my life I was on my way toward God. Finally, somebody explained how I could meet Christ as my Savior. And I can't take credit for anything else that's happened in my life. It is all the grace of God, but somehow, some way, I find myself this morning saying, the most important person in my life is Jesus. Now, now, by that I mean, just trying to get through the day, really what's on my mind is him. What's on my mind is his kingdom, wanting his kingdom to come here on earth. What, what's on my mind is his glory. Now, I have the same problems everybody else. Oh my goodness, I could tell you my troubles, my kids, my... Oh yeah, I've got lots of things going on. But even with my challenges, what I'm really asking myself is, oh, I wonder how Christ is going to lift eyes to him through this situation in my life. I wonder how he's going to turn this hard thing into his glory. Me and my family, it's just the same. I mean, we're literally sitting on the couch saying to each other, boy, this is hard. I wonder what Jesus is up to. I wonder how he's going to glorify himself while our family goes through this hard thing. So really, in the midst of all of that, he is still the issue. Lost. Convert. Disciple. That's Jesus' favorite name for these people. Disciple. Lost, convert, disciple. You're interested in believable research? Now, there's a lot of bad research. I guess today we would call it fake research. But, but there's some research that you can actually believe. Did you know that if you live 18 years growing up in a family and mom and dad do not know Jesus... Now, they might be good people, but might even be salt of the earth. They might even watch Fox News. But if, they, <laughs> but if they don't know Jesus, statistically, the high probability is that I will spend my entire adult life lost. Now, you and I both know there are exceptions. In fact, several of you this morning are that exception. You would say, I, I grew up in a home, nobody knew Christ but me. Somehow, by his grace, I was saved. Yeah, those people do exist. There's just not very many of them. Basically, if I live growing up in a house with mom and dad that are lost, I will live my life lost. The research also says, if I spend 18 years of my life growing up with a family and my mom and dad are disciples, not perfect, of course, but generally speaking, my mom and dad are living their lives where Christ is really the focus of things. He is a topic of conversation in our house. My family makes decisions based on him, his will, his glory. If I watch that for 18 years, 
Statistically speaking, I will become a disciple of Jesus even in young adulthood. Now, once again, there's exceptions. There are a few of them. Grow up with disciple parents, turn tail, live like the devil. Those people do exist. There's just not very many of them. Basically, I'm going to follow the pattern of my parents. Let, let me give you an example. Spring break is right on us, and we all know what happens on spring break. But this 19-year-old out of this home with spring break approaching, walks through a campus building and he sees a big poster, spring break trip, come with us. We're going to rebuild an orphanage in Haiti in only five days. And that student sees that poster and he says, that's what I'm going to do for spring break. You know why? Because that sounds about twice as much fun to me as being drunk on a beach for five days. Even at age 19, he is already starting to think like a disciple of Jesus. Lost parents tend to have lost kids. Disciple parents tend to have disciple kids. Convert parents have kids who live as if they are lost. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. Really, I'm talking about lifestyle. If we go down to the church on Sunday for 18 years, and you know, we fit in with everybody else. We know how to say the right words. We know we fit in church fine. Coffee's better than it used to be. We, we just do fine at church. But I can tell when we get back home, that's not what's really driving our family. No, back at the house, the big issues are trophies and traveling teams and roses on the 50-yard line and scholarships. When I finished growing up, the disconnect, the disconnect between that religious profession on Sunday morning and what I could tell were really the essential elements in my home, the disconnect between those two things, it fries my wiring so much so that when I go off to the big bad university, I don't have enough faith to hold me. And our campus ministers tell us in only a week or two, these church kids are already starting to do what the lost people do. Now, I can't read anybody's mind this morning, of course. But, but I am curious. I just wonder if anybody at this moment is, you know, having a little conversation with the speaker. I wonder if there's anyone that would be saying, uh, Mr. Ross, to use your perfectly ridiculous illustration, I would be in the middle. And you won't like this. I'm perfectly comfortable with that. I am going to be here on Sunday morning. I don't want anybody in this community calling me an atheist. And by the way, it's a little easier to sell insurance when you go to church. I am going to be here on Sunday. But there are some other parts of my life that are pretty important too. I make, I make a good living. And uh, people tend to know me, treat me with respect. And Mr. Ross, you wouldn't like this at all. If my kids turn out just like me, I would be fine with that. Now, I do want them to get up and go to church in young adulthood. Yes, sir, I don't want anybody saying I raised an atheist. I want them to go to church, but I don't want them to be a nut about it. My friend, I'm not young, and I've been working with these kids since I was 19. Let me just tell you how this is going to turn out. When these young people get out from underneath your direct control, and they can do what they please, they're going to break your 
heart into. And later on, after they take your grandkids through three messy divorces, you're going to say, this hasn't turned out like I was expecting at all. Two weeks ago, a man met me at the bottom of the steps after a sermon like this, and he said, Mr. Ross, I am precisely the person you described in your sermon this morning. He said, I've got three adult sons. Number one, they'll hardly speak to me. Number two, none of the three will let me see my grandkids unless I promise not to say anything about faith. Now, this would be strange. It, it would be strange. But if Pastor Tim, Andrew, if they had called me up in Texas and they said, Mr. Ross, we, we're, we're going to have a special program. This is so unusual. But, but our plan is we, we've got everything else set. We just need you to come and take the podium and say one strong sentence and then take your seat. I think I would have come if they had really explained what they were trying to accomplish. I think I would have come to Kansas to say, the future of your children hinges primarily on the spiritual condition of your heart. The future of your children hinges primarily on the spiritual condition of your heart. You're in an above average church. Anybody here disagree with that? My goodness, you're in the growth part of town. You've got great pastors. You've got great leaders. Your children's program, your youth program, above average. Okay, that does count. It does count, and I'll speak about that later. But mom and dad, what you cannot do is say, I'm depending on the fact that I picked a good church to get my kids to be spiritually strong the rest of their lives. You can't do that. Because mostly, once again, when they get away from home, mostly they're going to reflect the actual spiritual heart of mom and dad. Them's the facts. In fact, I've been very interested in this whole subject of the heart. Some would say it's a waste of time, but I sat down the other day and I went from Genesis to Revelation trying to discover every single thing the Bible said about the heart. Now, I would love to share every one of those passages with you, but if I did, the Methodists would beat us to the restaurant. We don't want that. So, <clears throat> let, me, let me just give you a, 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 an example. Let me just give you an example. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind in another place. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart, another place. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Another place. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The heart is the deal. Now there's all kinds of things we could talk about this morning related to child rearing. But what I'm trying to say to moms and dads and, and perhaps secondarily to grandparents is mostly how these kids are going to turn out has to do with the condition of your heart. Now, for some of you, th th this gathering right here is an issue that you have to consider. 
Some of you could say, Brother Richard, I am a baptized member of a Baptist church. It's impossible that I'm lost. No, it's not. Billy Graham that we just buried last week often said he assumed that over half of the baptized members of any church are lost and they're not going to heaven. Going to be shocked out of their minds at judgment to hear I'm not going in. The baptism's irrelevant. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Now, that matters for all time, but this morning it matters because if you don't know Christ yourself, it is almost impossible to imagine that your children are going to walk with him for a lifetime. But I do think for the vast majority of us this morning, this is not the issue. For the vast majority of us, the question is, do I stand here or do I stand here? And I know people are asking themselves that question because Sunday after Sunday, I have people that walk up, often a senior adult. Sometimes a senior adult that will take my hand and say, Brother Richard, some would call me an anchor of the church. So how is it this morning that I'm asking myself, am I a convert or am I a disciple? Well, there's no meter to test that. In fact, we Baptists have to be real careful because we're big on checklists and behavior and all of that. So, so I, I almost hesitate to ask some questions. But really, some outside behavior sometimes is evidence of the condition of the heart. So, once again, this isn't a, a checklist, but I just want to ask you, try to examine your own heart by watching for evidence on the outside of you. Something, something wakes you up. Whatever wakes you up of a morning, what is your first conscious thought? Where's that snooze button? Or, or... I'm going to throw off these covers, I'm going to go to my favorite place, and I am going to worship the King of Glory because I want to. Not because it's a Baptist rule, I am going to worship this morning because my heart wants to talk to Jesus and read His Word. I'm not talking about saying grace over your post-toasties, that's fine, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking a place that you go where for a good period of time you are worshiping Christ. Would you say that is something that's part of me? That is something I want to do morning by morning. When you do pray, whenever you pray, whenever you pray, you know your prayers. Would you say the majority of your prayer time is praising the king, telling him all the ways he's wonderful, or would you say the majority of your prayers are gimme prayers? Jesus, let me tell you all the ways you can make my life better, take stress off my plate, fix all my problems. Would most of your prayer time be focused on him, or would most of your prayer time be focused on you? What about the Bible? Most of us are going to come to church Sunday morning with some way to read the Bible. Might be paper and ink, might be something under your thumbs, but most of us are going to have a way to read the Bible. But at home, on your time, are you drawn into the pages of Scripture yourself because you want to? Not because it's a rule, but because you want to. Are you so in love with the author that you would say, I value his words, I look for extra minutes where I can get into his word for myself to hear from him. Is that important to you? Or would you say, no, the Bible to me is mostly a Sunday morning prop. It's a prop that helps you fit in on Sunday. And during the week, no, I actually don't spend much time doing that. 
I could ask more questions, but how about we just kind of sum the whole thing up? Let's just sum the whole thing up related to your heart. Would you basically say this morning, I value my faith. I value being a Christian because I've always had a hunch. If you go down to the church, if you keep your nose clean, if you put a dollar in the plate, I've just always had a hunch your life turns out better. I don't know. I think if you just do the whole religious thing, I think if I get laid off, I'll probably get another job with, with more salary. I kind of think if my wife gets cancer, I bet she just pops back. I bet I'll have better looking kids. If, I, if I'm doing the church deal, I just have a hunch that my life is going to go better. Or would you say, I'm thankful that I'm redeemed, I'm grateful that I'm a Christian, because this is what allows me to live a life for the glory of Christ. Cancer or well, it doesn't matter, I'm living for His glory. Which of those two things is more your mentality? Well, parents, that matters for your purpose on earth, it matters about you and your life as a child of God. But this morning, what I'm trying to say to you is how you are answering those questions has so much to do with what your kids first and eventually your grandkids are going to be. Now, I want to say something about this group that's a little bit strong. You test me to see if I'm correct. Jesus never intended for this group to exist at all. You say, Brother Richard, how do you know that? What did he preach on earth? When Jesus was speaking to the lost, when Jesus is speaking to the lost, what does he say to lost people? Repent and follow me. He says, repent and be my disciple. Invariably, he says, repent and be my disciple. This was never part of the plan at all. In fact, when he did speak specifically about this group, you know what he said? It's in the Bible. He said, this makes me sick at my stomach. That's exactly what he said. This was never the plan. Now, you may disagree with me, but I would say America is in trouble today, not primarily because of the bad people doing bad things. Our country is in trouble primarily because of this portion of the American church that's living as a convert, primarily valuing their faith for themselves and not the glory of God. And yet this was never part of the plan in the first place. I want to give you three brief challenges. Grade schoolers, teenagers, you guys are thinking ahead. You're, you're already thinking about getting married, having children. Children, teenagers, you guys can grab hold of this. You precious single adults that try to have influence with nieces and nephews and the children of this church. You couples without children. Once again, you're investing in the lives of so many. There's something here for all of you. So three challenges for everyone. My first challenge to you all is be awakened to who Christ really is today. Be awakened to who Christ really is today. Everywhere I travel, every Sunday that I speak, I find folk who primarily view Jesus during that period, that short period when he was here on earth, and their whole perspective of Jesus is 
somebody that walked around in the Middle East in a bathrobe, someone that sat on the edge of a well with giggling children in his lap. Okay, he did all of those things, eventually died and rose again for our salvation. That is extremely important, but that is not who Jesus is today. Who is he today? If you saw him this morning with your own eyes, what would you see? So glad you asked. Psalm 110 is the passage of Scripture that is quoted more in the New Testament than any other passage. If Jesus and the apostles quoted Psalm 110 more than anything in the Old Testament, wouldn't you guess that it might be a little bit important? I'm guessing it is. And it tells us who Jesus is today because David was allowed to look 1,000 years into the future and see an actual event that would take place, and it did take place. Psalm 110 verse 1 says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, and I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. What's going on here? Forty days after the resurrection, forty days after the resurrection, Jesus has been walking around in his resurrected body, teaching, teaching, teaching. Finally, the fortieth day arrives. He's standing on the Mount of Olives. I've stood almost exactly where Jesus was likely standing. It was incredibly meaningful to me because I was picturing Jesus bidding farewell to his followers. Great final challenge. And then the Bible says his resurrected body started going up, up, up through the clouds. I think most of you know that, right? What happened five minutes after Jesus went through the clouds? He walked in the front gate of heaven probably came down the center concourse of heaven, and as he approached his father, his father probably stood up and said, Son, be enthroned at my right hand, and I will make your enemies a footstool under your feet. Verse 2, I will put the scepter of all authority in your hands. Friends, from that moment till this morning, he has been reigning on the throne of heaven. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He's not wandering around in a bathrobe. He is the king of the universe. May I kindly ask you, in your morning prayers this Sunday morning, did you in any sense believe or feel, I am standing before a throne. I am literally lifting my eyes to speak to the King of glory. And when he quiets the music of heaven and he turns and looks at me and it's my turn to speak, what will I say to him? Well, not can I tell you my three little problems today. It is all I can get out of my mouth to say, holy, holy, holy. That is who he is. You can't possibly say Jesus exists for me. He's the king. I only exist for him. My little problems are not the issue. His kingdom and his glory is always the issue. Oh, my friend, listen to the reading of Scripture. Christ is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He, Jesus, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Does this church believe that Christ is coming to earth again? Do you honestly believe 
You're going to hear the trumpet blast. You teenagers are going to run out in the schoolyard. You people are going to leave work. Everybody's outside. Everybody's looking up. And Jesus splits open the heavens and he descends to earth. Do you believe that in that moment he is going to be grand and glorious as he does? I know you do. Of course you do. Watch this. Don't forget that I told you this. Who Jesus will be in his second coming is precisely who he is this morning. He doesn't turn into something for the second coming. He simply steps off the throne and descends to earth. That is who I was speaking to in the Holiday Inn this morning. It is that Jesus who, because of his death on the cross, put his righteousness on me and even allowed me to be in the throne room and to speak to him. Mom and dad, grandparent, child, I'm inviting you to have an awakening to who Christ really is today. My second challenge to you is this. Be transparent about that awakening. Be transparent. Mom and dad, the real issue is whatever Jesus is doing in your heart, whatever new thing he's doing inside of you, be willing to talk about that around the house. Men, if I could just say a word to you men. Men, I think by, by the way we're made, I think we tend to be a little bit more reserved than the ladies. I think the ladies tend to be just kind of out there with whatever's going on inside of them. I think we men tend to hold things in. No harm, no foul. Unless we are so reserved that the kids don't even know what's going on inside of us spiritually. Dad, let me, let me give you an example, something practical. So, Dad, you and Jesus are getting along better than you've ever gotten along, and because of that, you're up a few minutes earlier, and, and your tendency is to sit in your barca lounger, and you're having some good prayer, maybe even before the family wakes up, and you're reading the Bible. And on a given morning in your, in your worship time, you're going, whoa, never noticed that verse before. Man, that's good. That's good stuff. What are you going to do about that? Well, you take your Bible to breakfast. Finally, your high school daughter, sleepyhead, finally comes to breakfast, and when she walks in, you go, hey, sweetie, come here, come here, come here, come here, lean over my shoulder. It's having my worship time this morning. Oh, man, I found this verse. Come here, this is really good. Look, 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 look. What were our teenagers doing before worship this morning? They were studying the Word of God. Everybody think that's important? Yep. I believe it's tremendously important, but I want to say something to you. That girl leaning over her dad's shoulder to read the verse he found, I think that's worth about 20 Sunday school lessons. You know why? Because that's my daddy, the most important person in my world. He gave me a little reminder that he's up worshiping early. He gave me a little reminder that when he finds something in God's word that's meaningful, it's a big deal to him. When that girl is 37 or 45, the way she's living her life, the way she's serving at church, the way she's parenting her kids... All of that is going to be shaped by moments just like that. Be transparent about what's going on in your life. Let your kids know. My third and final challenge is partner with your church to see your kids look like Jesus. Partner with your church. D did you know an awakening to Christ can change how you listen to announcements? Did you know that? They throw up a slide, and the slide says, special, special time for parents, come, training. And you're thinking, you know, six months ago, I never paid any attention to stuff like that at all. But I do now. 
Anything my church is doing that's helping me parent better, anything my church is doing that's showing me how to lead my kids to Christ, boy, I'm all over that kind of stuff now. It changes how you see the announcements. And it changes decisions you make at home. Dads, if I could have your attention again, dads, I'm not saying this speech would be easy, but it's the right thing. Dad, Dad, you say to the coach, coach, man to man, I need to say thank you because I have noticed you've taken special interest in my boy. I've watched you. you. You've opened up some some special doors for him and given him extra time. Coach, I really appreciate your investment in my son. And I know, I understand what you're saying, Coach. These days, a scout is a lot more likely to go see a traveling team than a school team. I understand that. And, and I know what you're saying, that you giving my son the last spot on the team, that's kind of a big deal. I appreciate it more than I can say. But, but Coach, you're telling me that this particular traveling team, they're going to have to be out six Sunday mornings. Coach, not only am I trying to build a blue chipper, I'm trying to build a young man with a heart for God. We just can't miss worship for six weeks and me accomplish that. So I got to say no this time. You and I watch for other ways to build up my son later. Amen. And 10 years from now, Your adult kids are around your Thanksgiving table. And that son turns to you and says, Dad, I know you made some calls when I was growing up that I wasn't entirely happy about. But, Dad, you did the right thing. And the fact that me and my family, active up at the church trying to serve Christ, Dad, you kept the main thing the main thing. I told the parents in Sunday school, I've only got one child. We, we weren't supposed to have any. And we had to wait 16 years to conceive him. His name is Clayton. He's six foot four, good looking kid, loves Jesus. But his tendency is to jump on a plane with most anybody that wants to go tell people about Christ somewhere. But his preference is to go to places where they tend to cut off your head. He'll, he'll take the Koran and open it up for some guy, show him Jesus. So far, he's come home every time. But what if on the next trip, Clayton's body comes home in a box? Perish the thought. Pastor mentions in service, some of y'all remember the, the tall professor that was here from Texas. Well, lost his son this week. And you just, have, you just have a crazy thought. You just say, this is crazy, but I'm going to go to that funeral. I, I've got business in Dallas anyway. I, I'll, I'm, I'll go do my business, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to that funeral. And you walk into Wedgwood Baptist Church, and you sit on the back row. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you look down here on the second row where they would probably put me, I'm going to be crying like a schoolgirl because I love my son more than I can put into words. We are close. So if I'm not going to see him again on this earth, I'm going to be plenty sad about that. But if you come out in the circular driveway and you catch me before I get in the big black car, you might say, Mr. Ross, I can't explain this. When, when you came up to Kansas, by the, we didn't actually even meet, but I just felt some connection to you. I can't explain it. Had business in Dallas, and here I am. Can, can I just ask you, how do you, how do you really feel? about the fact that now there will never be a grandchild in your lap. 
How do you really feel about the fact that Christmas Eve from now on, you'll hand your wife a present, she'll hand you a present, and you'll go to bed, and that'll be it the rest of your life? How, how do you really feel about the fact that eventually you'll be in hospice, nobody will come to see you, and you die alone? I can't tell you what I would say. But you know what I want to say? It is well with my soul. You know why I want to say that? Because Clayton Allen Ross is on planet earth for the glory of God. That's his whole reason for being down here. And if the king should say in this particular instance, I would be glorified by a young man going to other places talking about me. And I would be glorified in this particular case with the blood of the martyr. If that is the will of the king, how can dad say anything different from it is well with my soul? Now here's the main thing. Clayton is not the issue this morning. Every child of this church is the issue. They are all down here for the glory of God. There is no piece of parenting more important than mom and dad, you releasing an 18 or a 22-year-old that has a face set like flint to live for Christ and to bring glory to Him. That is the point of parenting. Would you just bow your heads? Just bow your heads. Musicians come. We're, we're, we're coming to a moment of, of uh, commitment. You adults are smart. Y'all know in 10 minutes we're going to be out of here thinking about other things, doing, and, and all this message will, will drift away. We know that. That is why I think for some of you there is literally a fork in the road five feet in front of you. It's clear as anything. Because you know I will walk out of this place and I will continue parenting the way I've been parenting and all the other pieces that are exciting about a kid's life will be the main thing. Or I will walk out of this auditorium and the commitment of my heart will be to make sure my kids know I love Christ preeminently. That he is the center of all that I am and all that I do. And I will not depend on those people at church to try to make up the difference. My kids will hear from me that I love the Lord Jesus. It's a fork in the road. And I just wonder if some of you would find it helpful and meaningful to do something concrete to move your body as an indication of, I know which fork I'm moving toward. So as we sing, while we sing, if you need to come and speak to your precious pastor, come and speak to the pastor. There could be all kinds of spiritual things going on in your life. You might be a lost person. Come and speak to the pastor. But I think there would be a fair number of you that would say, no, this morning I don't really need to speak to the pastor. What I really need to do is go down there to that prayer altar. That's why we built it into this auditorium. I'm going to go down there to that prayer altar and kneel, and I'm just going to simply tell Jesus, of course I love you, absolutely I love you, but I'm just reaffirming today that you and your kingdom are going to be the central issue in my parenting. I just, I just want to say it concretely to you again. You just pray and go back to your seat. If you happen to be married... It'd be a sweet thing if you came together. It doesn't have to be that way. You single parents know you come and kneel. Jesus is going to kneel beside you. You know he will. 
Grandparents, if you feel a special need to recommit yourself to your grandkids, I know your knees don't kneel, so you just take the front row of seats. That'll be part of the altar, the front row of seats. You just sit down, you pray for those grandkids in Arizona or wherever, and then you go back to your seat. Sometimes doing something concrete helps us nail down our decisions. Lord Jesus, I'm just asking that you would draw all attention to yourself, that there would be no hesitancy, that there would be no factor other than you driving what we do these moments. I pray this for your name and for your glory. Amen.